I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 241. And happy Halloween, y'all. Spooky. No? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Okay. For all y'all listening on 1.5 and above, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, let me just start out with a question for you. So on my way to work on this main road, there's a new funeral home. You know which one I'm talking about? Yes, the one that was being built and you're like, what's that going to be? And I said, maybe a funeral home. I was like, damn, you're probably right. Because <laughs> it had like car bays and I was like, please don't tell me that's another oil change in place because we don't need it. No. <laughs> okay. So they have a sign out front and it's like a light sign, like a sign that you would see a lot of churches have them here where you could like put things. Well, how you explain it? Like, you can put, like, pictures, you can put graphics, you can put, like, all kinds of things. I was like, what the fuck are they going to put on that sign? That's not a very common sign that you see at a funeral home. Like, are they going to put, like, pictures of the deceased and be like, today's funeral is, you know, <laughs> well, that Jane might be nice. Okay, I was like, that's weird to me, but I can, I'm here for it. Yeah. Mm-mm. Drove by today, and it was like, primary uh, cremation, $995. Oh, so it's a fucking, like, advertisement side oh. of their prices. Yeah, no, I don't like that. That's weird, right? Yeah. Okay, because I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's nice to know. I mean, are they cheaper than most? Yeah, that's, that's cheap, cheaper right? okay, than, okay. yeah. I was like, that actually seems pretty cheap. Maybe that's why they're advertising it. Yeah, I mean, it was weird, but then I was like, I mean, that could actually be nice. But no, no, they did not utilize that to what we were thinking. Yes. Because, like, again, it's one of those signs, like, a lot of hospitals have, like, everywhere has them. You know, it's, like, has what it is on top, and then below it is, like, a a screen. Yeah. So, you could literally put, it's like a TV screen kind of thing. So, you could put anything on it. I'm like, it's a lighted sign, so you can put words. (laughs) Okay, so that's literally every sign known to man. What I thought you were talking about, because you said churches and stuff, the kind that, like, movie theaters used to have. Yes, where they put the letters. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then you were saying you could put pictures. I was like, wait, wait, wait. I just had to get y'all's opinion. Y'all let me know what you think. Yeah. And also, we're not a big city. Like, I feel like more signs like that's common in, like, a bigger city. Also, what's a primary cremation? Maybe that wasn't the word, but I feel like that's the word. As opposed to, like, secondary. Does that mean that, like, you get put with other people? Because I do know, like, okay, like, for animals, it's cheaper if you don't want the cremains. Because, like, when we put Bo down. Because we just had him cremated. And so they're not having to do just Bo and, like, get his cremains to give you back. You know what I mean? So it's cheaper if they can just put, like, three dogs in there. You know, I know that sounds terrible. So sorry. But, I mean, it's it's just speaking Mm matter-of-factly so i'm like surely that's not what that means would they do that with people i feel like i should ask my damn cousin i feel like no i mean i'm sure they do like unethically but i don't think so i mean because if you want the cremains i mean do people ever not want them i mean unless it's like somebody that you're like estranged from you're like i don't fucking want them you know yeah i don't know today's the last day of 13 nights of halloween I know. So if you're listening to this right now in the morning or, you know, just before night, you should join us in the Facebook group. We are going live tonight and it should be fun. And just to be clear, you have to join the Facebook group. It's not going to be on the Facebook page. Unless we screw up like we did that one time and I was like dropping all the fucks and my mom was there and I was like, (laughs) hey, Trisha. (laughs) What's everybody going to be for Halloween this year? I'll tell you what I'm going to be. Nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know we did not have not one Halloween party that we Mm-mm. went to this year. Nothing. But also like COVID really brought my um, recluseness out in me. Mm-hmm. Like I already hate going to parties and stuff. So I'm already meh about them. And now I'm like really meh about them. Yeah. I'm like, that's a lot of people. I'm like, ooh, got to wear a bra. <laughs> I tell you what, though, at work, we're all going to be, well, this would be happening like right now while you're listening, but we're all going to be fish because our rehab gym has windows to it. And so everybody that walks by like looks at us and all the things and it's like, so we're going to be fish like in a fishbowl. That's really funny. Or an aquarium or whatever. Oh my God. I got this um, like squid hat. A couple of us got some to wear. And this one had like all the primary colors on it. Yeah. And when it came in, Colby said, your uh, gay pride something came in. <laughs> Apparently, this is the Carrie show this episode. I finally started watching Schitt's Creek. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. You never watched it, right? I've only seen a little bit of the first season. And everyone says it's kind of like The Office. You have to get through the first season to really enjoy the rest. Yeah. And I just, I I don't even know. I need to. At first, Moira, who is the mom from Beetlejuice, Uh the, the mom in this, at first, her voice really got on my nerves. But I'm like... No, like, I completely appreciate it yes. as the character. And so, I'm like, no, I, I definitely like it. Yeah, she cracks me up. Love her. And, um, and and David. Yes. Also, there's this one part in one of the episodes where she's telling, like, how, um, like, she and her husband met. And she said that she was at this party and she was like, whose eyebrows bind everybody drinks? <laughs> that made me giggle so hard but back to 13 nights of halloween hopefully y'all enjoyed all of it we had tarot card readings we had kid-friendly stories we had a story sent in from a listener we had all kinds of shit and some of that was patreon only so if you want all that content from this year last year year before that head on over to patreon.com because then you'll be as cool as these patreoners Oh, shit. Yeah, went it up. Yeah, I did. I went backwards. If you're not from the South, that's backwards. <laughs> I don't actually say it like that. Also, recovered memory today, whenever I was getting my hair done. Oh, God. Did you, whenever, somebody always said, like, Mommy, did they ever go, whaty, back? Okay, No. <laughs> Mine either. <laughs> <laughs> you never said, whaty, when somebody no. said, okay, well, the girl that cuts my hair did, and I was like, oh my God, it was like a recovered, <laughs> not recovered, like it just like, holy shit, I remember that. She said that to you or to her To child? her kid that was there. Okay. I didn't call her mommy. Well, I don't know. You said, did you, you've never said whaty? So, hmm. I don't have a kid. Okay, forget all that what business. Let's go back to the Patreon. Thank you so much, Brenda W. from Georgia. Logan P. from Indiana. Amy L. from North Dakota. Maddie J. from Oregon. Oh, Taylor J. from Alabama. And Matt from We Need Your Address. Just just Matt, like Madonna. <laughs> just Matt. Lizzo. Or just Jack. Oh, like, like it. What do they get, you ask? Stickers? Thank you note? Lots of things? Extra, <laughs> extra content? A freaking episode a week. Plus bloopers, plus some discounts on the merch. So if you want all that shiz, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Well, before we get into my story, we got to talk about Blissey because they're back. And let me just say, y'all, I love 
attention to detail in any product, right? And we all know that Blissey is luxury, 100% mulberry silk pillowcases, right? So Colby stole mine. I stole it back the other night. And when I was unzipping it, because that's attention to detail too. So your pillow is not sliding out of it. Yes. So I was unzipping it to take his pillow out to put my pillow in on the tag because I was like, oh, let me see how to wash this. You know, how to take care of it. It says, warning, this product is too awesome. <laughs> that made me giggle so hard. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's just that little attention to detail. If they're paying attention in products to that small, mm-hmm. minute things, like, of course, you know, it's a quality product. Yes. Well, and they're all about the user experience. Like we have said, this is the perfect gift to get someone. And it's holiday season, y'all. So seriously, it comes gift ready. And then they get to experience stuff just like Carrie when they see like, oh, oh my gosh, like love this tag, love everything. And they're going to get the most blissful night sleep. Why a silk pillowcase, you ask? Well, because it's going to give you better skin and hair. It reduces frizz and tangles and prevents breakage, which for me is a big deal because I always sleep with my hair up and I feel like it breaks my hair, but this pillowcase helps with breakage. And it does that because it helps keep the moisture in your hair and keeps the skincare products that you put on before you go to bed. You know, you put all these skincare things on and then you lay it on your pillowcase and it gets all over it. But a Blissey pillowcase keeps your skincare products on your face and the natural moistures in your skin. Yeah, so bye-bye wrinkles. And the best part, this pillowcase is cool on both sides. It's almost as cool as me. Okay. So if you're one that gets like super hot at night, you're going through hot flashes or something like that, and you're like constantly flipping your pillow over to get to the cool side, all of it's the cool side. Seriously, I think that's my favorite feature about this because I do sleep so hot. Another thing that's really great when you're reading that tag, it'll tell you that it is machine washable, which is a really big deal when it comes to silk pillowcases. You know, 100% mulberry silk, which also means it's naturally hypoallergenic. And you know that is a must for me because my skin hates me and it hates anything it touches. But this is perfect because it's not going to give me a rash. So if you're looking for that gift-ready luxury item that you can send to that person who already has everything, you need to go to blissy.com slash creep to get 30% off your order, which comes risk-free for 60 nights. If the pillowcase doesn't make you sleep better, which it's going to, it's risk-free. You can really rest easy knowing that they back their product. So go to blissy.com that's b-l-i-s-s-y dot com slash creep to get 30% off your order your hair your skin apparently your husband and your friends if you give it to them as a gift they will all thank you okay so the story I'm going to do today was on an episode of the dateline and it was on an episode of American Justice which was on that crime investigator show channel is that with uh Walsh no you're thinking in pursuit yeah, why did that make me think of that? Unsure. <laughs> why does my brain work the way it does? If we knew that answer. <laughs> Everyone's like, it doesn't. That's the problem. Right. It doesn't work. 
So the story is about Hannah Hill. So this story takes place on May 19th of 1999. Hannah was 18 years old and was pretty close like weeks away from turning 19. In high school, Hannah was super popular. She was the homecoming queen and after high school moved out of her parents' house, but had recently moved back in. She was super proud of herself because she had just started a job as a secretary at a local company that like built ATMs and stuff. I'm like, man, there really is a job for everything. Like stuff you don't think about, you know, literally said that today at the hairdressers because she said a guy comes to sharpen her scissors. I was like, damn, that's some shit you'd never think of. Oh, you know what his name is? Ed. You know what he calls himself? What? Edward Scissorhands. Oh, that's funny. Cracked me up. That's funny. Clever. Anyway. Y'all should know I've had two cups of coffee and they've definitely kicked in. So she had just gotten this job and bought herself a new car too. Well, new to her. But on this day, she had gotten home, had dinner with her family, was getting ready for bed, like gotten her PJs and everything. And she was like, all right, I'm going to go down to my room because she had a room in the basement. But eventually she got dressed again and was like, actually, I'm going to go back out. And this was at about 1030 that night. Which is so not something I would do. Once I'm home and I'm in my PJs, that bra's off, I'm not going out. I was about to say, if I take off my bra, I am not putting that back on. Well, Hannah did, and she told her parents that she was going to go hang out with some friends. That was the last time that Hannah's parents ever saw her alive. Oh, no. The next morning, Hannah was supposed to go to her job, but she was also supposed to go by her boyfriend's house and pick him up. Well, that next morning, she was a no-show. His name is Brad Osborne, and he paged her over and over and over, but she never called him back. And he was like, this is not like her. If I page her, she calls me back. Well, then Hannah didn't go to work. This is a brand new job. Some stuff I saw said that that was her very first day. Some articles sounded like she had been working there, but not for very long. So I don't think it was her very first day on the job, but that's what Dateline said. Also, hello, 1999 with the pager. I know. (laughs) So I was listening to something the other day and they said, I mean, it was the 90s. Not all of us had cell phones. Were cell phones a thing in the 90s? Yeah. I mean, you had a car phone. Not me. Didn't you have, didn't your parents have one? No, my parents. Tiffany's parents. Tiffany's. Had, okay, okay. Let's, yeah. <laughs> my parents, we were barely scraping by. My dad had, was in a, for a little while in like this really good job where he was like the head of this medical clinic and he had a car phone for that, like a bag phone. And then in one of our cars, it was like drilled into the floorboard. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like that, yeah, that's a cell phone, but how they were saying it, it's not that. It wasn't a car phone. Well, and then think like the Zach Morris phone. I thought that was fake. No. I literally thought that was fake. No. Legit thought that was fake. No. We had cell phones in the 90s like that? Yes. They weren't like the Nokias that we played Snake on, but yeah, we had them. And they look like Zach Morris? Yes. <laughs> okay. She clearly never watched Murder, She Wrote, y'all. No. So then Hannah's friends start to notice, too, that she's not answering pages and she didn't show up for work. So then her parents get involved. Eventually, she is reported missing to police. Now, at first, everyone that knew Hannah was a little side-eye at her boyfriend, Brad. Because Brad wasn't the definition of what you would want for your high school daughter's boyfriend. He had dropped out of high school 
and was selling some drugs and was actually cheating on Hannah. Why? You got to cheat. I know. I mean, don't sell drugs either, but. (laughs) So her family and friends are making flyers and putting them everywhere. But the police are a little of the mindset of like, she's 18. She can go wherever she wants to. But about a week after Hannah went missing, the news broke that police had actually found Hannah's car. It was found on this dead-end street, and when police went to her car, they popped the trunk, and there they found Hannah's body. Oh, gosh. Hannah was naked from the waist down. Her shirt had been pulled up. The autopsy showed that she had died of strangulation. Oh, my gosh. Now, the part that kind of makes you go, wait, what? Is the fact that police already knew that that car was there. Wait, what? (laughs) Seriously? Right. But remember how I said that they were like, oh, she's 18. She can go and do what she wants. They didn't put her missing person stuff in the computer. What? So when the residents along that street called multiple times, like starting the day she disappeared to say, hey, we've got this car on our dead end street that shouldn't be here. I'm talking like literally hours after she disappeared. They're like, hey, we've got this car, shouldn't be here. One of the residents of that neighborhood even said that they could see car keys on the dashboard and Hannah's name in a couple of places. And to make matters worse, a police officer even came and ticketed the car. Wow. 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 But because they hadn't it in the computer, they didn't know that was the car of Hannah Hill, who is missing. That is so fucked up. So fucked up. But eventually, all the pieces got put together, and they were able to find the car and Hannah. Now, of course, the police immediately went to the boyfriend. Because like I said, kind of shady. Drug dealer, was known to be a womanizer, and Hannah's family and friends didn't like him. They were a toxic match for each other. Hannah swooned over him, but it was really toxic. Like, in fact, they had lived together, and it was bad, so Hannah moved back in with her parents. Oh, okay. I was wondering why she moved back in when she had just gotten that job and stuff, so now it makes sense. But the thing with Brad, though, is that he was one of the ones going to police and being like, where the fuck is my girlfriend? Like, what are y'all doing to find her? But the police were also like, I mean, like, he's real aggressive, like real fucking aggressive. Mm -hmm. But one thing that the police did notice when he went to the police station to be like, okay, you found a car. Like, now what the fuck are you doing? Was that he actually had a lot of scratches on him. Did he have a cat? No. The scratches were actually because he had gotten physical with Hannah. Oh, gosh. There was abuse in their relationship. But when the police were asking him questions, he never asked to talk to a lawyer, which asking to talk to a lawyer does not make you guilty. But he was never like, you're trampling on my rights, like nothing. Like he was like, no, where's my girlfriend? And then once they found her, like, what are y'all doing to solve this? Like, what the fuck happened to her? And when they were like, can we get DNA? Can we get fingerprints? He's like, yes, take it all, whatever you need to find my girlfriend. So they're like, he's either innocent and just as a shit boyfriend or... He did it, and he's trying to get us off his trail. Right. So the night that Hannah went missing, you know, I told you that she had gone home, had dinner, put on her PJs. When she went down to the basement, she called her friends, you know, just kind of made a night of being on the phone, all that. And then after she got off the phone with somebody, that's when she left. 
So the police get her call logs. They see that the night that she left her house, she made four calls. One to a friend, two to Brad, and one to a guy named Denny Ross. So the police are like, who the fuck is Denny? Well, Denny was a guy who had a three-bedroom apartment next to a porn shop. I don't know why that's important, but whatever. (laughs) Everybody's like, it was next to a porn shop. I'm like, what are you trying to say? Right? I mean, location, location, location. Exactly. So this apartment was known as kind of the party house, a place where everybody could crash, smoke some pot, do whatever. Just a couple of days before Hannah's disappearance, Denny was actually sentenced to two years probation on a drug charge for like selling, I think it was cocaine. I'm like, okay, he got two years of probation for selling cocaine. Tell me anybody else that would have gotten off that easily. Right. I feel like that's like 25 years in prison for a person of color, but I digress. So the police know that the last person she talked to before she left was Denny. So they go over to his apartment, knock on the door. And when he answers, he's literally got a phone in his hand. And they're like, hey, we're blah, 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 police. And he's like, cool, my attorney's on the phone. Oh, shit. So as police are talking to him, Denny's like, yeah, I actually did see Hannah that night. She came over, we kind of hooked up a little bit, and then she left. So Hannah was cheating on Brad too? No, basically what he said was that Hannah had found out that Brad had been hooking up with other people, so she went over there to be consoled, and, like, one thing led to another. Oh, okay. And, of course, Denny was like, well, if anybody should be looked at, it's her boyfriend, Brad. He is abusive and all the things. And they're like, well, he did have the scratches. I am side-eyeing Denny, because then he's, like, pointing the finger. Anyone who's like, well, one thing led to another, it does. But sometimes I'm just like, eh, I don't But know. did it, yeah. Yeah. Especially... Like, I know that this has happened because I've seen it in movies, but if she's going over there because she's distraught about her boyfriend cheating, like, why is she going to cheat? Unless she's like, well, you did it, I can do it too. Which, again, I get get that that happens. But that's more like... Rage sex, I feel like. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think. Like, you're going over there with the purpose. You're not going to be like... Well, he cheated and I need to be consoled. You're... I, I don't know. I just feel like that is what guys say... When girls go over to be consoled because they're like, oh, I'm the friend. I'm the friend. I'm a good friend. I'm a good guy is Mm -hmm. what I was just about to say. And then, well, it led to that. Uh, Were you forcing it to lead that way? And i.e. not being a good guy? So the police were a little like, ugh, about Denny too. So they literally woke a judge up to get a search warrant for his apartment because he was the last person to see Hannah alive. So it's like 3 a.m. when they go to Denny's with a search warrant. Can you say Denny's apartment because you're making me want some food. I actually thought that when I said that. I was like, ooh, some breakfast would be good. Mm -hmm, That Grand Slam? Well, in my head, I said All-American, but I think that's Waffle House. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Now, I will say the American Justice that I watched on this said that the police were searching their apartment and one of the detectives went outside to like take a break, smoke a cigarette. Go to the porno shop? Right, when they found a garbage bag outside of Denny's apartment window. He's on the second story, so like straight down from it. The Dateline episode and some of the stuff that said like in testimony that the police said that when they were going up to his apartment, they heard like a thud outside. Like he dropped this trash bag. So unsure. Well, it might have been both. They might have heard something, 
But then that guy saw it. Yeah. And they put it together. Well, and that's the thing when you're researching all these cases. We've gotten even some emails being like, you got this part wrong. And I'm like, I'm limited to what's available on the internet. So, of course, there's never going to be like side stories and all of that. Like, we've gotten a lot that Iola killing that we did. And I'm like, I used your newspaper, though. You know, like... So we're limited. So if you know, that's why there's always going to be some that's like, well, this said this and that said that. Well, what police found in that bag broke this case wide open. They found Hannah's missing clothes. Oh shit! But wait, what was she missing? Because she had so she had her naked. Right, she was naked from the waist down. So it was her pants. It was her shoes. All of that. Okay, okay. Sorry, I was like, her shirt was just pushed up and her, oh, yeah, she was naked. Like, I was just thinking, like, pants and stuff pushed down, shirt. No, yeah. But, yeah, I see what you're saying. Now, I'm going to circle back to this because I felt like everything kept being like, and her pants had feces in them. Like, she had defecated in them. But, like, I'm going to circle back to that later because that is a thing that I'm very confused about. So, police are about this bag, like, smorgasbord, smorgasbord. Everybody else is like, why would he keep a bag of all this evidence to just like throw it out the window when police got there. Like, why would he keep this for a week? But Denny's like, I did not toss that bag. And the bag didn't have fingerprints on it. And the garbage bag didn't match any garbage bags that he had at home. Oh, hmm. And police, in one of many things that they didn't do in this case, they didn't check the temperature of the bag to see like, how long had it been outside? How would you know that? I don't know. I thought that too. I was like... (laughs) I was just thinking... No, my thought was they could use like one of those temperature. Like, okay, at first I was like wrap a thermometer in the bag. And I'm like, no, that would make it hotter. But you know they have those temperature guns that are like yeah. pew, pew guns. But I mean, like, I, I don't know the difference between inside and outside when it's not like freezing outside because it's hot outside. It's May air conditioner hot. Some people's house is hotter than it is outside. Well, okay, but. I am just saying. But that, you get the point, though. But that doesn't make sense to me. That is not like the smoking gun no, of this. I, yeah, I totally agree. Now, what they also didn't do was they didn't luminol his apartment. Oh, now that. But they did find blood splattered like on the walls and stuff. Not a ton, but like little bits of blood. Also, I've had blood on my walls and various places because, you know, I will pick at my skin really bad. Mm-hmm. I have seen that. And so... I understand. Now, it's not splattered. And this wasn't like somebody used a knife and you had the cast off of it. It ain't like that. It's like a little bit of blood. Yeah. So that night, Denny was arrested and charged with Hannah's rape and murder because they did find semen inside Hannah. However, she had been in that car for so long, the sample was too degraded for them to test it. But there were other things that the police didn't do other than not looming all the house and all the things. They never checked her pager records, too. And some of the stuff I saw said that they didn't check Brad's alibi, but then other things said that he had an airtight alibi. But what I found of his alibi was that he was at his house with, like, some friends watching movies. So the friends should be able to corroborate what he was doing. Yeah. And the more they look at Brad, the more innocent he becomes and the more guilty Denny seems. Now, they did test the blood that was visible at Denny's apartment, but none of that came back as Hannah's blood. But in October of 2000, Denny stood trial for Hannah's rape and murder. There was a lot of back and forth during the trial about was it rape? Was it consensual? Because while they found semen on Hannah's body and it was too degraded to be tested, 
they did find semen on her pants. And that semen was Denny's. Oh, okay. Well, her underwear, but it was on her clothing. But he said that she came over and they hooked up. And just there being semen there doesn't necessarily mean that she was raped. Yeah. So this is what the jury was told. They had two options. Basically, a capital murder case because of the rape. Or if they felt like she wasn't raped, they could have charged him with manslaughter. Another thing, too, that I saw in that American Justice was that Denny's defense didn't bring any witnesses. Like, they basically said, when it was their turn, they're like, we rest. The prosecution did not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did this. We don't even need any witnesses. Whoa. Ballsy fucking move. Yeah. So the jury takes it to deliberate. The jury decides that Denny was not guilty of the capital murder and the rape. So they fill out all the paperwork and they're like, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Sign, 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 sign. Everybody signs. And they're like, sign, still delivered. Okay, now's the time to deliberate on if they think he's guilty of manslaughter. But right as they're starting to deliberate this, the judge comes in and says, stop talking about the case. Oh, shit. Do something else. Do not talk about the case. It goes back to the courtroom, talks to the attorneys, because the foreman had slipped the judge a letter. And in that letter, he tells the judge that one of the jurors had told him when they were on break, another juror came up to them and said, I don't know why we're debating. He's guilty because the boyfriend passed a polygraph test. Wait, what? So that was only in the news. The polygraph test of the boyfriend was never presented at trial. Oh, shit. And the jury was instructed very clearly... Do not look at any media, any news, any newspapers, any anything about this trial. So the jury was then tainted. They could have said, we're making it a mistrial and start over. Or they could have said a lot of things. They could have like gotten rid of that one juror. They could have just continued on. And the prosecution was like, no, declare it a mistrial. They're tainted. Now, keep in mind, nobody knew that they had said not guilty to the first charge of like the capital murder and the rape nobody knew that so the prosecution's like no we need a mistrial because they don't want him to come back later and be like well i need an appeal because the jury was tainted you know Mm -hmm. the defense attorney is like no let's keep going they bring denny in and denny's like no no no, let's keep going judge is like you do realize that this means that this juror thinks you're guilty and he's like no let's keep going but the judge was like no i'm declaring a mistrial So this was a huge hoopla because basically the defense is like, um, you didn't take any time to deliberate. There were other things that you could have done other than making it declared a mistrial. So like I said, getting rid of that one juror and I don't know any of the other legal shit, but like, okay, let's pull in an alternate or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then again, now you've tainted two other jurors, the foreman and the juror that was told that because now they know about said polygraph. Then the attorneys found out that they had already filled out the legal binding paperwork of the not guilty. So Denny's attorneys were like, you cannot try him again for this because you've already tried him and they've already filled out this paperwork that said not guilty. It would be fucking double jeopardy if you try him again. Wow. So, of course, it goes through all this legal mumbo jumbo of the attorneys fighting about, is this double jeopardy? Is he going to get a new trial? Did this judge not do her due diligence to try to continue the trial on? So forth and so forth and blah, 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 blah. 
Well, Denny spends another year in jail waiting for them to sort this shit out. Well, in September of 2001, he gets released on a million dollar bond while they're still kind of working this out. So while all this is going on, though, her, her poor family is living with no justice, not really knowing what happened to Hannah. And then also you've got Brad living under this cloud of suspicion where people are like, well, did he really do it? They right. didn't find him guilty. Is it really Brad? And Brad made no qualms about, no, I was a shit boyfriend. I did her wrong. I treated her wrong. I abused her. He was up front with police. He was up front with everybody. I was a shit person. And he had a lot of hard time with this, too. He turned back into drugs and, you know, really struggled with all of this. As, of course, did her parents. Let's not forget them, The you know. Yeah. And her friends. This made it all the way up to the Supreme Court where they overturned lower court's decisions and said that Denny could be retried for Hannah's murder. So 13 years after Hannah's murder, Denny is going back on trial. Wow. There were over 70 witnesses called. Now, some of the witnesses were a little like, oh, one was a woman that, of course, they have to like make it known that she was a... uh, a stripper like she was a stripper she you know you can't be trusting her she's a stripper you know yes oh my gosh but at first she was like no nah, i wasn't there because you know denny's house was like a hot spot for partying so at first she was like no no, no i wasn't there I wasn't there I wasn't there but then at this trial she was like okay actually i was and she testified against denny said that she knew that hannah and denny had gone into denny's room she heard some noises and was like, I'm getting the fuck up out of here. This isn't good. I don't want any part of this. But the big thing was, now that we're 13 years later, there had been so many advancements in testing that they actually tested some blood droplets that were on Hannah's pants. They were on the trash bag and there was a t-shirt in her car that had this blood on it. Well, they tested it and it was Denny's. Oh, shit. So the first trial, it was like, well, you don't have any blood of him in the car, in the bag, Mm -hmm. anything, you know. And some of them, one of the jurors was even like, well, the bag wasn't tied. So like, but it was still closed. So if he dropped it from the second floor, like, why didn't it open? You know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Another lady testified that said that she had met Denny while he was out on bond. And he took her back to his place and attacked her. Oh, shit. She said that he was choking her from behind and she couldn't breathe. She said she passed out a few times. Basically, the only way that she got out of it was she pretended to be dead and was like, hopefully he can't see me breathe. Oh, my gosh. That's heartbreaking. And, of course, he attacks someone else while he's out on bond. Right. Brad actually testified during this trial. Oh, shit. And they came for him. You know, they're like some of her diary and all of that that they were like, did you read this? You know, they like came for him. Like you abused her. And he's like, yep, sure did. I was shit. Yeah. But they were like, but did you kill her? And he was like, nope, I sure didn't. It's just so hard to wrap your head around someone being a shit human, but not doing like even shittier things, you know? So you're like, well, I mean, he did this, so it would be plausible. But it's like, no, you could be a shit human, but still not be a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, the defense for Denny was like, this blood doesn't prove anything. Prosecution was like, um, if there's blood, this is evidence of a violent encounter. And the defense is like, no, it, no, it's not. They're like, you get paper cuts, you get mosquito bites. And I'm like, okay, but that's going to show up on the inside of her pants? Right. Not going to happen. 
Okay, but this is what I can't figure out. I even messaged my cousin, Freddie. She is um, a funeral director or a mortician. I'm not sure of the current language. Who you referenced when we were talking about cremains earlier. Yes. So I messaged her because I felt like everything made a point to say that her pants had feces in them. And I'm like, why y'all keep saying that? Like, just leave that detail out if it's not pertinent. You know how, like, every woman's fear is to shit when they're giving birth? Yeah. Like, that would be my fear. Like, oh, I shit whenever I was getting axe murdered, and they keep saying I shit my pants. Yeah. So I messaged her, and I was like, is that something that just happens sometimes when you die? Obviously, you lose control of bowel and bladder because, hello, you have been murdered. And she said, yes, it is. But, so this is my question. Why did he have these soiled pants in the bag at his house? I think he's guilty. I'm, uh, so I'm not trying to say he's guilty or not. I'm just trying to figure out the timeline of events. I 100% think he's guilty. If she was found in her trunk, missing her pants and underwear. So stand to reason, ignoring the pants, that she was raped, murdered, put in her trunk. But why do the pants have feces in them? So was she raped and put her clothes back on and then was murdered? But then why did he take them back off? Unless it was like to shame her. Because she was kind of posed. So unless it was like to kind of shame her. But I also feel like in the trial, because they had a few witnesses talking about his strangulation during sex and that it would go too far and all of that. So it's like if he was raping her and strangled her and that's how she died, like why is there feces in her pants? Like I don't get it. I don't get the timeline. And maybe I'm like barking up the wrong tree, but I just don't understand the timeline. So the question isn't do they defecate on themselves after they die? That's not the question. The question is... When did she have her, like, how did she put the pants on after either one, a sexual encounter that went too far or a rape that, you know, he strangled her during? Like, it just, I just don't understand when the actual murder occurred in the timeline for her to still have been found with no pants on. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think too, and I don't want to like get too far down that rabbit hole. Or too graphic, which I totally yeah, that's, understand. That's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and again, it's just like a it was a, like you said rabbit hole of a moment where I was like I'm I'm pulling a Donna and I'm focusing on the like part that doesn't matter. Yeah. But I'm just I can't wrap my brain around it. Regardless of that timeline, Denny was found guilty. Basically, the jurors said that it all came down to the blood evidence. Wow. So Denny was sentenced to 19 years to life in prison for Hannah's murder. But here's the thing. This is what jurors didn't know. Oh, God. Denny was currently in prison because he was serving a 25-year sentence for rape and attempted murder of another woman. Whoa. So in that interim, he did it again. So he attacked that woman who had testified and another one and killed that one? Tried. Attempted Tried. Murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yep. And he got 25 years for it. So he cannot start serving the mandatory 19 years for Hannah's murder until he finishes this 25-year sentence. Wow. So even if he just serves the 25 years and 19 years, he will not be eligible for parole until he's 67. So a pattern? I think yes. Mm -hmm. So even if you are a little like, uh, on the fence about the circumstantial stuff of the case, like the errors that that Akron Police Department for sure made, which they are not denying. And they've said, look, we've done more training. We've done what we can to fix these issues. Like we we screwed up on some of these issues. They've taken responsibility for it. But even if you are like, at all those screw ups and all the circumstantial evidence that went with this case, a pattern is a fucking pattern. Yeah. 
And then to be so brazen about it while you're out on bond Mm -hmm. to do it again. Yep. Well, before we get into talking about my story or going into Donna's, we've got to tell y'all all about Graveyard Tales. Graveyard Tales is a podcast hosted by Adam and Matt that looks at the history behind haunted places, ghost encounters, and cryptid encounters. They take a look at odd phenomenon. Phenomena. Like spontaneous human combustion and out-of-body experiences. And they take deep dives into remote viewings, alien abductions, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and the Salem Witch Trials. And they approach all of their episodes with a great blend of extensive research and they do add some lightheartedness in there too. Which is the best of both worlds for me because I want to laugh, but I also want you to have the research to maybe try to disprove some of it. You know, I'm the logical one. Logical or just skeptic. I didn't say that those were different. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Hey, they have a lot of popular episodes. Missing 411, Elementals. Multiverse Theory, The Fae. Cattle Mutilations, and, you know, our fave, not so much Shadow People. Oh, those Shadow People. They're so freaking scary. Yes. Really tune in to Graveyard Tales. I love listening to them. They really do a lot of research. You can find them wherever you get your podcast. You can also go to graveyardpodcast.com or Graveyard Tells Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to tell them we sent you. Okay, so this episode, I'm talking about a haunted hotel in Minnesota. It's the Palmer House Hotel, located at the corner of Happy and Healthy. I swear I was about to say that. How much do you think Walgreens paid to be in Hocus Pocus 2? Oh, girl, I don't know. Which better have my money. (laughs) Okay, seriously, at the corner of Sinclair Lewis Avenue and Main Street in downtown Sock Center, which I believe is in the middle of Minnesota. And that made me laugh because it has center in the name and it's in the center of the state. I don't know. You know me. All I can think of is, oh, Bobby, don't you know? And everyone from Minnesota did a collective eye roll. (laughs) Right. So it wasn't originally called the Palmer House Hotel. It was built in 1863. It was called the Sock Center House. And I really hope I'm pronouncing that right because it's S-A-U-K. Everything I listened to said sock. Or that was my country ears (laughs) listening to it. And that's what I interpreted. So I'm very sorry. It was a hustling and a bustling, and it also had a brothel going on upstairs. But that burned to the ground, and they don't know the cause of it, but no one was harmed during this fire. Since it has some shadiness going on, the citizens were not too upset by this because, you know, they thought the uh, gambling, the brothel, all the things, that would just cease if they didn't have, like, this hotel to do it in. And I'm like, "Mm, y'all are so innocent. I love y'all. Anyway, Ralph and Christina Palmer, they bought the land and built a hotel right where the old hotel had been. They had a vision for bigger and better, and that is just what this was with 38 rooms and they had like a meeting hangout area. It was very shishi because it was one of the first places in Minnesota with electricity and indoor plumbing. So the Palmers lived at the hotel along with their two children, Hazel and Carlisle, And Christina's mom and brother lived there and worked, too. During the 1920s, with Prohibition and everything, they say the Palmer House became kind of the headquarters of the whole bootlegging thing because there were tunnels under the hotel that would take the liquor to other locations in the city. I don't know if that's true or not, though. I will say Prohibition did something for our country's ghost problem. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're so right. And by that, I mean it created the ghost problem. <laughs> After the Palmers, it changed hands a few times, but a major renovation began in 1993 And the rooms were combined so that the 38 rooms became only 19 of them. And they each had their own bathroom, which I think is super important. Also included in this renovation, everything was rewired and updated. Kelly Freeze, she became the owner of the hotel in 2002 with her hubby, Brett. But she runs the place. He works elsewhere, but he saw her vision and was like, okay, cool. They're not from the area, so they really didn't know the history of the place or anything. And not that the history says it's haunted. It's just like a lot of fires and stuff had taken place because I didn't even go through all the fires, but there were quite a few. But soon they found out that some of that residual energy from the past was still sticking around. So let's already get in to the hauntings. The first report that we can ever find is in the 1950s when a chef heard some footsteps And they were getting mad because they were mopping the floor and they were like, oh my God, basically who is being the Lucifer to my Cinderella? But she looked around, no one was there to be walking through her clean floor. But the kitchen and dining room have continued to be a hotspot for activity. Servers will set up the tables after dinner so they'll be ready for the next day. But when they come in that next day, they find that the silverware has been moved or plates have been shifted, all the things. Kelly, the owner, she's experienced some extreme mood swings. And she said that some of her staff have also had those same disturbances in moods too. And she said that it's always in the kitchen. She'll get nauseous and she'll end up vomiting. Oh God. And they were actually on the Dead Files, that TV show. And when Amy was doing her walkthrough, Amy said that she picked up on the energy there that it could make someone sick. And she said that she really thinks that there's a female who's living that really gets affected by this. If y'all know the dead files, Amy doesn't know anything about the place. So she doesn't know all of this beforehand. Also, Amy said that there was a lot of residual energy in the bar and dining room area. And she said that People probably hear people like that they were partying back in the day. And a lot of people say they do hear glasses clinking and stuff like people were cheersing and all the things. So that checked out. Now, Kelly has also had like many other encounters. She said that she felt like someone had grabbed the top of her head, like by her hair. And she also felt like she was being choked. She believes it's a spirit named Raymond. Raymond was a man who was basically over the brothel upstairs, but now his ghost is still thinking he's the boss upstairs. Well, you not the boss. Mm-hmm. So he's known to be a grumpy spirit, which is what Carrie would be. 1,000%. <laughs> and he's seen a lot in this one room that they've now dubbed Raymond's room. So Kelly was upstairs on the third floor in the laundry room folding some towels, and she said that she could see someone... With like a dark cape. That's what she just like envisioned, I guess. And it came up on her. And then when it was right there, she had a hard time swallowing. And she felt that choking sensation around her neck. But she said that she kept saying out loud, I am not leaving. I am not leaving. Because one of her friends had said, you have to stand your ground. And finally, everything stopped. 
But later, another psychic had told her that Raymond was just getting her attention because he's very territorial over that room. So it's not like he wanted to kill her in that thing, but like also get the fuck out. Can you imagine? No. When they first took over the hotel, Kelly's dad, Howard, had moved in to help with renovations. And so he was the only one in the hotel for like three or four months. But he started hearing noises. So one day he asked Kelly, like, hey, have you rented out a room to someone? Or like, what's going on? And she's like, no, you're the only one here. He's like, well, that can't be because at night I hear someone pacing. It sounds like multiple people pacing back and forth upstairs on the third floor every night. There's another entity, Hank, and he was a maintenance man there. And so he haunts the basement, which seems to be filled with creepy activity. It still has the foundation rocks from the original building. People have witnessed shadow people walking back and forth across the doorway down there. The lights flicker all the time. But remember, they had new wiring in like 1990, whatever. Also, there's a snowman decoration down there that my mama would have loved it's animatronic. Yes, but it's um, it's like four foot tall or something. And it'll dance when it's plugged in. But it also will dance when it's not plugged in. I don't know if she'd like that second he, part of that Yeah, sentence. no, she would not have liked that one. But anything that danced, she liked. Yes. <laughs> Many people say that the shadow person that they see down there is very tall and very broad. Kelly said that she felt like someone had jumped her down there. What she meant is that someone had complete control over her body. Like someone had jumped inside of her. What the hell? And she said that she doesn't really know why, but she felt like it was a man, very masculine. And Amy from the Dead Files, she was down there and she said that there's a skeleton-faced guy down there. And she said that he was trying to jump her. She said that he told her he liked killing people and he wanted to continue doing it. What the hell? Like, oh, sure, I'll just go to bed now. What the hell? I know. Wyatt, who's an extended stay guest there. Like an alive one or a uh, ghostly one? An alive one. He said that when he was down in the basement, he felt something take over him too. He said that it felt like his insides had changed and his emotional state changed. And he felt like there was a sickness that was trying to take over his body. So he ran upstairs out the building and he had to like stand outside before he started to feel normal again. There's also this story that the psychic told Kelly where she said that she saw bones in the basement and she like told Kelly a specific place. So Kelly dug where they were supposed to be located and she said that she found rib bones. She placed them in a box and she was like, okay, I'm going to show Brett when he gets home. Well, when she went back to get those bones, they were gone. What the hell? (laughs) There have also been a lot of sightings of a little boy ghost. They believe that to be the Palmer's son, Carlisle. Kelly said that some guests have been like, hey, I loved staying here, but there's, there's a lot of kids running around at night. They play so loudly. And that's when Kelly will have to tell them, oh, no kids were staying the night. That is awful. Because you know, (laughs) I don't want any kids like running around keeping me awake. Mm -hmm. And then to find out, You were aggravated, but it wasn't real kids. Right? Hell no. People have seen that boy ghost playing on the stairs and like just walking up the stairs to the second floor. And they also said they witnessed a ball bouncing down the hallway and children's laughter at the same time. 
Ghost Stories Incorporated, they visited the Palmer House Hotel and they captured an EVP of a boy singing several times. And then they also saw an apparition of a child crouched on the stairs where they usually say the boy's spirit is. But Carlisle isn't the only Palmer there. Kelly said that she saw a woman who was wearing a red head wrap and she said something about her seemed out of place. But at that point, there were a lot of people there for an event. So she didn't really think anything of it. But when she went to find the woman again, she couldn't. She was gone. Later, Kelly was going through some photos and she came across the woman that she saw. She's like, oh, my God, this looks just like her. But that person was Hazel, the daughter of the Palmers. Don't buy that that's the first time she's ever seen that picture. Yeah. On Discovery Plus, there's a show called My Ghost Story. And on an episode, the Palmer House is there. And this experience is told by a husband and wife, Bill and Chris Schneider. So Chris, she said that she had read about the hotel in a book of hauntings. And she wanted to go see if they could have an experience. And well, she wasn't left unfulfilled. Bill is a skeptic, or he was. So they asked for the most haunted room, and that was room 13. Bill said he woke up around 2 a.m. because of a loud cart sound like a housekeeper would use, but the wheels were like really squeaky and loud, but he couldn't find anyone when he like went out in the hallway. So he put a recorder out in the hallway. They were supposedly the only ones there, but he called a woman's voice saying, Son of a bitch, stop. So, I don't know what he called. So, there's this chair there that they both said gave off creepy vibes. So, of course, they sat in it. I mean, you are there for a creepy experience. Mm -hmm. But they both felt like there was a heaviness on their chest. And Chris said that she felt like she was gasping for air, that she wanted to get out of the chair. But it was keeping her there, basically. When they got up from the chair, Bill took a picture because he was like, it was so creepy, he just figured something was going to be there. He kind of went up the stairs a little bit to get a better view of it. And right beside the chair is a mirror. In that picture he took, they both saw a little girl's reflection in that mirror. I didn't really see it, though, because, of course, they show it. I just really couldn't see it. Chris had said that she felt a presence by that window at the time, so that was confirmation to her that there was a spirit there. But nothing was as creepy as the basement. They were looking around, walking, and Chris sat in a chair down there. Those damn chairs. She said, do you hear a baby crying? And he was like, well, it must be upstairs, but I don't hear it. And the next thing that Bill knew, Chris was humming And then she started to rock like she was singing a lullaby to a baby. This went on and he's like trying to get her up. And she opened her eyes and Bill asked if she was okay. And Chris bolted up from the chair and she was like, no. They believe that she was possessed for a moment by a spirit or something like that. Kind of how they say that that spirit down in the basement can jump people. Like, that's something that happened to her. And she said it was like she was in a trance because she doesn't remember anything. It's weird how they say it can jump people. I don't know why. I mean, I get what they're saying. But, like, in my head, I'm like, ooh, they throwing fisticuffs? Yeah. You know? Like, (laughs) it's just weird. Yeah. But room number 13 is not the only one that has activity. 11 and 17 also have a shit ton of activity. There is a newlywed couple, and they were staying the night 
in room 17. They both woke up in the middle of the night to see an apparition of a man wearing clothes that seemed to be dated like 1920s. He was standing at the foot of their bed and it totally freaked them out, which hello, it would freak us out too. The furniture gets moved around in that room all the time, even when no one has stayed the night there. So that guy, Wyatt, who's the extended stay person, he was staying in room 11 and he felt someone lay down beside him. He said he felt fingertips grazing along his chest. But when they were doing that, it felt like he was being shocked by an electric fence. There's a woman that they call Jacqueline and she's thought to have been a maid. And it seems like she's still trying to work in room 12. Like she'll make your bed, all the things. I mean, does she need a job somewhere else? Because thank you. Right? Can you please make my bed? There's another spirit named Lucy. She's pretty good at making it cold as fuck in the room. Like the temperature will change drastically. Can she come see me at night? But like, I don't want to know she's there. I just want her to cool my bedroom off. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Or whenever I'm getting a hot flash or, you know, just just sit on my shoulder. But like, don't bother me. Just make me cold. (laughs) Well, a lot of people will say that they have woken up and they were able to see their breath. Well, that's real cold. (laughs) Even in a room that isn't advertised as being one of the most haunted rooms, it still has activity. Gail B., she left a review on TripAdvisor. She said that her, her two daughters and grandson, they stayed there on a Saturday night. And she said that, like, it was basically like a belated birthday celebration for her. And she wasn't really thinking that they were going to have an experience. But, you know, she was like, I mean, if we do, awesome. So they stayed in room five, which, again, is not one of the most haunted rooms. Well, she fell asleep at 10.30 or so, and she was like, all right, you know, nothing's happened this whole time. It ain't haunted. But there was a lot of noise in the hallway, and there were creepy footsteps that they heard. And so she was like, huh, you know, this is kind of weird. Well, 10 minutes before midnight, she heard what sounded like metal rubbing against metal or some kind of squeaky noise. And that's when she saw a dark figure standing next to the bed. She said that she gasped and the figure disappeared. And then it was followed by two very small dots of light that floated around the curtains and the wall. And she said that her grandson and her both saw the moving dots of light. And she said after that, there was one more visit. And then that was plenty to make her realize that she got her money's worth when it came to her ghost experience. Also, there has been a ghost cat that's been known to jump onto people's bed and they can hear it purring. You know, I have to end with a Dybbuk douche and his crew investigating this place. And they, of course, had some experiences. Well, because they have 875 episodes. So, <laughs> of course, anything you do, they're going to have been there. No. Well, they had like EVPs where it said both of their names, Zach and Aaron, And they had one EVP that said, they're coming to get you. They heard dragging sounds, like something being dragged. Not dragging, you know my accent sometimes. (laughs) Um, They heard glasses clinking together, footsteps. And they heard what they thought was like a broom hitting the floor. Zach, you know how he will... Taunt. Yes. Taunt, be a dibbic douche to the spirits. In a certain room, there is someone that they believe was a sex worker, okay? 
she's very territorial over that room, but she and she doesn't like men because hello, she doesn't like it if both of the chairs in that room are taken because then she has to like sit on the bed because there's no other place. Gotcha. You know, and with her history, all the things. So Zach fucked that room up. Like he unmade the bed, like was just like tossing shit around, you know, just moving everything. And at that time that he was doing that, he felt like he was being tased by something. He also felt a pinch at his side when he was talking about hearing footsteps. And then there was a scratch in that same spot that he felt that pinch. Well, maybe he should leave her the fuck alone. Right? I'm going to end with this for real, because this is something I only heard on Dead Files as two things. One, that there is a police officer in the 1920s. He was doing his night watch and the hotel was on his route and he was last seen alive at this hotel. Well, that next day he was found shot in the face and he was dead. But the bullet was again shot in the face, but it was entering right under his eye socket. But the coroner ruled it as an accidental shooting. But the bullet wasn't the same caliber as his gun, and his gun was still fully loaded. So how was it an accidental shooting beats me. But everyone was like, oh, someone at the hotel did something, or he he came across some kind of, you know, nefarious shit going on, and he was killed. And then they had moved him like 500 feet away from the hotel, like at a city building. I can't remember what it was. So how they say like no deaths on that property is true, but also could not be true as well. You know what I mean? Right. How is that a like an accidental gunshot wound? It's like self-inflicted if it's not even the same fucking caliber as his gun. Right. And like no other gun was found at the scene or anything. So right. I mean, probably everyone was on the take on that, you know? You're right about that. Well, Amy on the Dead Files, she said that she felt that there is a spirit there who was in denial that he was dead and he was missing an eye. And so this corresponded to the history that, God, I can't remember her co-host name. I'm terrible. But he was finding out with the officer. And then... Here is a heartbreaking story. And again, I only heard this on the Dead Files. So there was a freed slave who worked in the hotel back in the day. Well, it was well known that he was afraid of ghosts. And he like talked about some paranormal shit that happened to him. So he was scared of ghosts. Well, one night, some local men thought it would be funny to play a joke on him and dressed up as ghost, hid around the hotel, and when he was doing his job, they would just like jump out of the hallway and scare him, okay? So he got so scared, he ran outside, even though it was freezing and raining, I believe it was raining. People found him on the hotel property, like I think in a barn that was on that property, and he had passed due to the elements. Oh, oh my God. Now, again, I only heard this on the Dead Files, but I feel like it's something way more sinister than that, because if you just think about it, like people are like, oh, they were just pranking him and dressing up as ghosts, but it's a freed slave, so, Mm -hmm. hmm, and it's men who were dressing up as ghosts. So, wearing white sheets. Uh Uh-huh, with eyes cut out. With a hat, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I just feel like... (laughs) Literally, that was my first thought was, he thinks they're the KKK. Yeah. And I mean, what I feel like, 
they probably were. And they're just saying, oh, we dressed up as ghosts. Right. And, oh, they were just pranking him because he's scared of ghosts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. And that he died of the elements. Who knows? Yeah, he may have died of the elements because he was too scared to go back in because the KKK was waiting on him. Mm-hmm. Or they forced him to stay out there. Who knows what happened? Because we're, we're never going to know. Right. But just all of that stuff, I mean, it's going to leave a mark on that land. Also, they talked about a man who owned that property. And he, I can't remember, Cassius, I think was his name. And he was just like a kind of a bad dude. He fought in the war against Native Americans. So no telling how many people he killed. And it seemed like he enjoyed killing people, you know? Well, at the end of that war, I I should have wrote this down, but I hate to give everything away on an episode, but then there's just so much like heartbreaking stuff that, and I should have wrote this down, but I believe it was 35 or 34 people, Native Americans who were hanged. And that is still like, the most mass execution in America's history, I believe. (gasps) So this is that man, you know? Well, when he owned the hotel, that's when one of the fires had happened. And so he used that money, like the insurance money, and he went into banking and he like made a fortune and all the things. Amy picked up on a man and she said that he liked killing and stuff. And he, something was about a bank and like money and he wanted everyone to know he had money. But she said like when she heard this story about Cassius, she really didn't think he was the same man. She could have been picking up on like his energy, but he wasn't like that evil guy that she was seeing. Yeah. Also, let me just, I keep saying, I'm going to end on these two things, but here we go. But also she said that she saw shit ton of shadow people, but she didn't really think they were just shadow people. They were just kind of like showing themselves as that, but they were way more sinister. But Kelly was like, no, I feel like this is my duty to stay here and learn more about these ghosts. And so she didn't want to leave. And But what Amy said is like, get rid of these sinister spirits. You can keep the residual energy and you can still have your paranormal investigations and stuff because things will happen. But get rid of the spirits who are stuck there. I don't know if she did do that or not. Well, y'all know how we do it. Before we get into talking about Donna's Haunted Hotel, we got to tell you all about True Crime Society podcast. They cover everything true crime from missing people and cold cases to the latest breaking news. You might have heard of True Crime Society on their social media accounts because they have over 200,000 followers and they all were like, oh my gosh, we love your content. We need y'all to have a podcast. The two hosts, Olivia and Stephanie, were like, you know what? Let's do it. Olivia is based in Sydney and Stephanie is in New York. So they just have such a unique global perspective of all the different topics. Listeners say that the podcast reminds them of chatting with friends. And we know y'all love that because that's what y'all say about us. So y'all really need to check them out because no matter what the case is, their episodes are well-researched with just the right amount of banter and never feeling too heavy. That does sound like us. So uh, I think Olivia and Stephanie and me and you could be besties. They have new episodes that release every Thursday. And of course, it's available on your favorite podcast app today. So be sure to search for and subscribe to True Crime Society podcast. And that is on, again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever your favorite podcast app is. They're there waiting for you. Click download 
and become one of their besties too. Don't forget to tell Olivia and Stephanie over at True Crime Society Podcast that we sent you. So back to your hotel. It has to be so freaking scary for someone to come in and be like, okay, so I saw all these air quote shadow people, but like they were just tricking, trying to trick me, but they didn't because I'm really good. And they're pretty fucking sinister. How scary. Yes. Also, when someone does validate, like someone who is famous for having these abilities validates your experiences. Because Amy said that that entity was trying to jump her the entire time. And she was having to fight him off. And she did not have her fisticuffs ready. (laughs) Right? Well, she did. She was like... Well, true, true. She did. That's why they couldn't (laughs) jump her. Good point. Yes. I just want to have that experience where these people like Kelly, who didn't know Hazel was a ghost. And there was this other one. Of course, I didn't tell y'all. But one of the night clerks, he was cashing out or doing something at the bar and someone had come up and it was just like a normal young guy whatevs and he was like oh sorry we're closed and he was like well could I get a beer like and he was like you know what sure let me just see if they like lock the taps or whatever and they didn't and so the guy was like well what's your favorite kind of beer night clerk was like this one like he didn't even know you know what I mean he's not a bartender so he's like this is one I like but I don't know so the guy was like, yeah, that's cool. Just give me a glass and or whatever it is, a pint. I don't know. Or if you're Johnny Depp, a mega pint. But <laughs> um, the guy had a $10 bill and he was like, oh, shit, I can't break that because they've already cashed out in the night. You either have to get like some more drinks to make it the $10 or if you have any other change or something, we could do it that way. So the guy had some quarters and gave it to him. And he's like, you know what? It's on sale tonight. Lucky for you. You know, go have fun. So the guy took the beer and went up to his room. The next day, that night clerk was telling Kelly about this. And she was like, yeah, there was no one staying that night. Because I guess they had had like an event that day. And so they needed the rooms and all the things to be empty. And so no one was staying that night. Wow. I don't know, just to have that experience where you're like, no, that was a real person, but no, it was a ghost. When I think of ghosts, I really think of like the glowing, flowy white dress skimming across the ground, you know, like Mm -hmm. floating. You know, what you see on Nickelodeon is Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's what I believe. Or straight bill just, we're ghosts. (laughs) Yes. So I don't know. I just feel like that is freaking trippy. To be the person who experiences that, Really didn't think anything weird about it. Just like, hey, I want to tell you that this guy came. If anything's fucked up, it's because I did this thing. And it's like, yeah, there should have been no one here. Like, I don't know. It just gives me fucking chills. But it seems like your people were more dangerous than my dead people. Uh, Always. True. Typically, though, yours starts out with some people that would be from my stories. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yes. Well, we hope that y'all are having a great Halloween today. You know, wear some orange. Wear your favorite earrings. Let us know what you decided to wear because we love seeing all the cute costumes. So post them in the Facebook group. Okay, so you know how you have like intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. like everyone does? Okay, this isn't like a, it is an intrusive thought. But this is just one that like I shouldn't ever say out loud. But then I was thinking it like because I was like, put on your favorite earrings and I was thinking I have some sparkly pumpkin ones I haven't worn yet. And so I need to wear those. And then I was like, you know what? 
they make jeweled butt plugs, okay? I have a jeweled butt plug, but they don't make any that have little pumpkins on it or like a ghost. Like, why don't they have like themed, I mean, I guess probably Etsy. I should shop on Etsy. I'm sure they do, but I'm thinking like Adam and Eve and stuff like that. I've never seen like a themed, you know. You should write to them and complain. I need my hole haunted. <laughs> I told you it was intrusive. Yeah, now we have to be intruded with that thought. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Wow. On that note, um, before y'all delete us completely, keep enjoying Halloween. Let us know what you dress up as, like I said. And remember, creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.